0: Welcome to the Improve the News podcast for Friday, February 10th, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Melissa Toppsher.
1: And I'm Eric Steiner with a look at today's top stories. U.S. lawmakers try to end forever war authorizations.
0: Zelensky addresses an EU summit as fighting rages around Bakhmut.
1: North Korea displays a possible new missile at a military parade.
0: The EU reprimands Twitter for an incomplete content moderation report.
1: Eight civilians are killed in clashes with UN peacekeepers in the Democratic Republic of Congo.
0: The Church of England approves same-sex union blessings.
1: Missouri votes not to ban children from carrying guns in public.
0: A survey finds that half of Americans are worse off than they were a year ago.
1: Disney plans to lay off 7,000 workers.
0: And India urges citizens to hug a cow on Valentine's Day.
1: In our top story, U.S. lawmakers seek to end forever war authorizations. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Restoring America, Washington Post, and Common Dreams. A bipartisan group of six U.S. lawmakers, Senators Tim Kaine, Democrat of Virginia, and Todd Young, Republican of Indiana, and Representatives Tom Cole, Republican of Oklahoma, Chip Roy, Republican of Texas, Barbara Lee, Democrat of California, and Abigail Spanberger, Democrat of Virginia, has introduced legislation to repeal the 1991 and 2002 authorizations for the use of military force. The repeal would end both the Iraq and Gulf Wars, and revoke the President's unilateral authority to deploy troops. Congress would reassert its authority over declaring war if the action is approved. Previous legislation to repeal the authorizations was passed in the House in June 2021, but it didn't receive a vote in the gridlocked Senate. The 2002 authorization, which has passed for the Iraq War, was used by former President Obama for airstrikes in Syria and Iraq in 2010. Former President Trump used the same authority when he ordered an airstrike in Iraq that killed Iranian General Qasem Soleimani in 2020. President Biden says he supports the repeal. Only Congress has the authority to declare war, according to the U.S. Constitution. The president does not.
0: Thank you, Eric, for laying out the facts on that first story. And on this program, we separate the facts from the narrative spins. We'll start our first round of spins with the establishment critical narrative from Common Dreams. Constitutionally, the argument against these authorizations is clear as day. Congress is the sole governmental body with the power to declare war. Since the illegal authorization to fight the so called War on Terror 20 years ago, nearly a million people have been killed and more than $21 trillion has been spent, all because of executive branch led ventures. It's well past time to repeal these laws.
1: And the website from the Department of Defense is giving us a pro-establishment narrative for this story. These authorizations are legal and necessary in the counterterrorism era of warfare we live in today. The U.S. faces threats from state and non-state actors, including al-Qaeda and the Islamic State Group, which is why the President and the Pentagon need authority and flexibility. Congress can be briefed by the executive branch, but the President can't wait around for a painstaking declaration of the war process.
0: I think that's a smart idea.
1: <laughs> yeah, we need to have so. a consensus
0: from more than one person.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: They could just give it to me.
1: You know, I'd feel okay with that. Yeah,
0: I probably I know st- stuff about, you know, I, I, peace. I think you're stable. It's got to be easy, right? World I, I, conflicts.
1: I'll put your name in the hat. Want to help us improve the news? Go to improvethenews.org slash pod and take our quick survey and tell us what you think. And now, back to the news.
0: It's day 351 of the Ukrainian conflict. Zelensky addresses an EU summit and fighting rages around Bakhmut. On Thursday, during a summit of EU leaders, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky thanked European countries for helping Ukraine while urging them to send more weapons to help Kyiv's forces. It came as the Kremlin responded to Zelensky's visit to the UK that took place the previous day, stating Ukraine would suffer if Western nations sent it fighter jets. In his address, Zelensky said that a victory for Ukraine would be a victory for European values. The president of the European Council, Charles Michel, also posted a photo of himself and President Zelensky with the captions Welcome home, welcome to the EU via Twitter. Meanwhile, Russian officials have called Zelensky pompous and hypocritical for traveling through Europe to rally support for Ukraine. The UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak said, Nothing is off the table. Regarding assistance to the war efforts in Ukraine, adding that fighter jets are part of the conversation. Zelensky's visit comes as fighting has intensified in the country's east, particularly around the city of Bakhmut. Russian forces are slowly making progress around Bakhmut and are reportedly preparing for a new offensive across the east. Ukraine has said it will not give up the city. Elsewhere, SpaceX's president, Gwen Shotwell, said on Wednesday that the company, which had provided Ukraine's military with broadband communications, Is seeking to prevent Ukraine from using the Starlink satellite internet service for drone operations in the country. In other news, Ukraine has denounced Roger Waters, a lead member of Pink Floyd, following his speech at the UN Security Council at Russia's invitation. Waters said that Russia's actions regarding Ukraine were illegal, but he added that the nation was provoked and said he condemned the provocateurs.
1: Melissa, thank you for the update. We have three spins that have emerged, beginning with an anti-Russian narrative coming from PBS NewsHour. This invasion is an egregious violation of international law. Putin's ultimate aim is to restore the Soviet empire, even if it takes massive bloodshed and false pretexts, such as calling the 2014 Ukrainian revolution after an election a coup. This unprovoked attack is the latest chapter in Putin's Orwellian attempt to rewrite history.
0: And here's a pro-Russian narrative from the National Security Archives. NATO and the U.S. have ignored Russia's security concerns by breaking its promise not to expand eastward in return for German reunification. These concerns are legitimate and taking them seriously would have avoided the Ukraine tragedy.
1: And the nerds from Metaculous are chiming in with their narrative, saying that there's a 2% chance that Russia will be removed from the UN Security Council. By the year 2024. And I'm so happy that they didn't denounce David Gilmour, along with Roger Waters.
0: Is it going to tear the band apart? I mean, are they? <laughs> they're not touring well, anymore, I'm sure.
1: Right. <laughs> That's what you call the dark side of the moon, for sure. Oh! News from North Korea as they display a possible new missile at a military parade. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, Reuters, Washington Post, cnn and abc news north korea displayed as many as 11 new hwasong 17 intercontinental ballistic missiles or icbms during a nighttime parade in pyongyang on wednesday state media reported the new icbms have the potential of reaching the continental united states north korea's leader kim jong-un presided over the parade accompanied by his young daughter kim ju-ae as it marked the 75th founding anniversary of the country's army and emphasized its ability to face down its enemies, nuke for nuke, confrontation for confrontation, as characterized by official state media. North Korea has continued to develop its ballistic missile program despite UN Security Council resolutions and sanctions. Last year, Pyongyang tests launched dozens of advanced missiles. Experts speculate that some of North Korea's ICBMs may be mock-ups, while others could be solid-fuel rockets. According to nuclear policy expert Ankit Panda, solid-fuel rockets are more responsive than their liquid-fuel counterparts and can be launched more quickly, making them more difficult to spot with satellites. The North Korean parade showcased more intercontinental ballistic missiles than ever before. The ICBMs could reportedly represent enough volume to overwhelm U.S. ballistic missile defenses if each missile were equipped with multiple nuclear warheads.
0: We'll start this round of narratives with NBC News, providing Narrative A. Pyongyang is sending a message to the world that it has nuclear capabilities to deter and coerce. This was evident in Wednesday night's military parade, which featured ICBMs capable of striking the U.S. mainland, as well as a variety of other nuclear-capable weapons. The new ICBMs support North Korea's policy of power-to-power, all-out confrontation against its enemies.
1: Narrative B is coming from Lowy Institute. This show of force is actually about Kim Jong-un ensuring the continuity of his family's dynasty. Kim's daughter was prominent in the parade, which telegraphs an intention to maintain the survivability of his family's command of the nation if conflict were to occur.
0: And we have our first nerd narrative of today from the folks at the Metaculous Prediction Community. They say there's a 33% chance that there will be at least one fatality from an offensive nuclear detonation by North Korea by 2050. The EU warns Twitter over an incomplete content moderation report. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Hill, Bloomberg, Politico, CNBC, The Wall Street Journal, and Forbes. The European Commission on Thursday admonished Twitter for allegedly not being seriously committed to tackling disinformation, as the company has reportedly lagged behind other tech giants in the last six months. This comes as EU officials asserted that the Elon Musk-owned firm submitted to the EU an incomplete report about how it is fighting intentionally false and misleading information posted on the platform. Twitter was allegedly the only tech company that failed to provide information about its plan to cooperate with fact-checkers, as well as the required data on how they tackle falsehoods and foreign interference on their platforms. The report was issued as part of the 2022 Code of Practice on Disinformation, a set of regulatory standards based on guidelines set out by the European Commission that Twitter and more than 30 other companies voluntarily agreed to follow. Failing to fully comply with the code could put Twitter in trouble with regulators as a wide range of content moderation rules is set to be implemented by September 1st in the EU's upcoming Digital Services Act. Companies could face fines of up to 6% of their annual revenues or even a ban if they breached the act. The EU published in November an evaluation made before Musk took over the company that found Twitter took longer to address hateful content in 2022 compared to 2021.
1: Melissa, thanks for the facts of that story. The first spin is a pro-establishment narrative being provided by Euronews. The EU has been taking decisive action to curb online hate speech and the spread of misinformation and extremism, with the Regulatory Digital Services Act coming into effect next year to enforce social media platforms to protect people's life and safety. As the Internet is no longer a lawless land, Musk-owned Twitter could face fines and even a ban if it goes down a shaky path.
0: And the establishment critical narrative today is coming from the National Review. Most European countries have never genuinely valued free speech, yet Brussels is taking this attitude to a new level by imposing a radical censorship mechanism intended to force social media companies especially Twitter, to follow an imposed ideological content moderation policy.
1: And a nerd narrative says there's a 44% chance that Twitter's net income will be higher in 2023 than in 2022, according to the Metaculous Prediction community. I guess that is if they follow all the rules.
0: Right. Those (laughs) numbers might not be the same in the EU.
1: In our next story, the Democratic Republic of Congo saying that eight civilians are dead in clashes with a UN convoy. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, People's Dispatch, Al Jazeera, The Defense Post, and African News. Eight civilians were killed and 28 wounded on Tuesday as clashes erupted in the East Democratic Republic of Congo's North Kivu province after protesters blocked and attacked a convoy of UN peacekeepers. The casualties were confirmed on Wednesday by Lieutenant General Constant Ndima who added that those killed had been displaced by attacks of the allegedly Rwanda-backed M-23 rebel group in the territories of Nirgongo and Rutshuru? The UN mission MONUSCO, which has been in the DRC since 1999 and deploys some 16,000 soldiers, reported that the convoy was returning from a resupply mission north of the provincial capital Goma, which rebels set four of its trucks on fire at Kanyaruchinia. Anti-UN sentiment has risen in DRC since the M23 staged a brutal offensive last year that has displaced hundreds of thousands and killed dozens. Uprooted civilians are reportedly claiming MONUSCO and regional forces are failing to protect them. Protests against the peacekeepers have grown over the past months, with demonstrators storming MONUSCO facilities across the country in July to demand their departure. At least 36 people, including four peacekeepers, were reportedly killed. M23 has seized significant territory in East Africa since its comeback in November 2021 and is one of the many militia groups that have caused disturbances in the mineral-rich country for decades.
0: Thank you for the facts on that story, Eric. We'll start this round with establishment critical narrative from the New Humanitarian. While violence must be condemned, the Congolese people have a right to be upset with the UN peacekeepers. Decades of MONUSCO presence in the country have failed to subside rebel attacks and conflict that have displaced nearly 200,000 people. Furthermore, the UN mission has neither listened to the Congolese people about their grievances, nor denounced Rwanda's involvement in this crisis.
1: The Economist is giving us a pro-establishment narrative. Though it's undeniable that MONUSCO has fallen short of achieving its mandate to stabilize the country and bring peace to eastern Congo, Demanding UN peacekeepers leave the country is not a solution, as peacekeepers are the only ones ultimately trying to protect civilians. Their departure would benefit only rebels and unscrupulous soldiers. So much for booking that Airbnb over there this spring.
0: Oh, yeah. You might want to go. uh, I was trying to think of somewhere safe. and (laughs) I
1: don't think there is a safe place.
0: (laughs) I mean, you can take your chances in Antarctica.
1: (laughs) May consider that.
0: The Church of England approves same-sex union blessings. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Attitude, The Guardian, Church Times, The Telegraph, and The Associated Press. By a vote of 250 to 181 on Thursday, the General Synod, the legislative body of the Church of England, voted to allow blessings of same-sex marriages and unions, though priests will be allowed to opt out. The approval also includes an apology to LGBTQ plus people and a review of the ban on clergy entering into same-sex civil marriages and the celibacy rule for clergy and same-sex relationships. To get the vote passed, the right reverend Sarah Mullally agreed to an amendment stating that there will be no change in official church doctrine regarding marriage. The debate was procedurally complex, with over two dozen amendments to the motion, including one proposal for marriage equality to be put before the Synod within two years that lost by a vote of 52% to 45%. Church law currently states that marriage can only be between one man and one woman. Six lawyers who sit on the Synod warned that clergy could be exposed to the risk of litigation, advising the blessings be given so long as they don't equate civil marriage to holy matrimony. The blessings are expected to start later this year after guidance is issued.
1: Those were the facts, and we have two spins, beginning with a progressive narrative coming from gay times. While Britons can certainly take the small win here, the Church of England is still holding on to old beliefs that the majority of Anglicans don't agree with anymore. Within the Church, as is already the case in secular society, there is plenty of room for differing views on sexuality and marriage. Hopefully, this is only the first step toward the Church finally approving same-sex marriage and thus fulfilling the demands of inclusivity preached by God and the British government.
0: The conservative narrative comes from Crossway. This is the result of the decades-long secularist movement to overtake religious institutions as our moral leaders. Most of the world, for most of its history, understood marriage as a permanent sacrament between men and women who, regardless of their personal or emotional qualms, were unified in the goal of raising children. Though progressives will counter with anecdotal whataboutisms, this fundamental human purpose can only occur between the two sexes. While blessing unions is one thing, approving same-sex marriages would be an attack on fundamental church doctrine.
1: News coming from Missouri as the state dismisses a ban on minors carrying guns. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Guardian, The Hill, KCTV5, and Breitbart. Legislators in Missouri's Republican Majority House on Wednesday voted 104-39 to to reject a proposal that would have banned minors from carrying guns in public without adult supervision. Only one Republican voted in favor of the proposal. The provision, originally included in House Bill 301 by a bipartisan working group, was removed by the Crime Prevention and Public Safety Committee before a floor vote. It was then defeated after being reintroduced as an amendment by Democratic Representative Donna Berenger. Currently, there's no minimum age for firearm possession in Missouri. And possessing a weapon without a permit isn't illegal. Police can only act if someone is committing a crime or acting menacing. Since the Supreme Court overturned a concealed carry law in New York State Rifle and Pistol Association v. Bruin last summer, which led to easier access to concealed carry permits, it has reportedly been more difficult to adopt gun regulations nationwide.
0: We've got a couple of different spends here. We'll start with a Republican narrative from Breitbart. Unlike California's renewed anti-Second Amendment agreement, Missouri understands that gun control doesn't lead to safer communities, while those opposed to unfettered concealed carry laws will claim it allows criminals to run rampant. What it actually does is give citizens a more affordable chance to defend themselves. All Missourians should be free from police harassment so long as they carry their weapons properly and in accordance with the law.
1: The Democratic narrative is coming from St. Louis today. Despite the proposal being unanimously recommended by the bipartisan working group, Republicans, in their fanatical attempt to protect the Second Amendment, decided to block it. But the Second Amendment isn't meant to allow children to carry weapons or hinder police from preventing crimes committed by armed minors. What is this, 1886?
0: Apparently. I mean, I guess if there's no minimum age, I'll just give my newborn baby a gun and just send them on their way. Yeah, they'll start
1: putting guns in the infant section in Walmart, right next to the bottles and the pacifiers.
0: Aren't they there already? (laughs) In our next story, a survey conducted, half of Americans are worse off than a year ago. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Axios, Gallup.com, CGTN, Money, and CNBC. In a new Gallup survey, 50% of Americans have claimed that they are financially worse off now than they were the previous year, the highest percentage since the Great Recession over a decade ago. The latest results are based on answers received between January 2nd and January 22nd, with 35% of Americans stating they are better off than they were a year ago, compared to an even split between the two choices in the two years prior, with 41% to 41% in 2022. When split up by income, 61% of respondents from lower-income groups said that their financial situation had worsened over the past year, compared with 49% from middle-income groups and 43% from upper-income groups. Despite this, 60% of people revealed that they expected to be better off financially a year from now while only 28% expected to be worse off. This comes after Biden asserted his desire to build the economy from the bottom up and the middle out, rather than the top down at his second State of the Union address Tuesday. Also noting record low unemployment, job growth and inflationary decline, but that there is still work to be done.
1: Thank you for the facts, Melissa. We look at the Republican narrative first coming from RSB Network. Biden is blaming inflation on the pandemic rather than his reactionary policies to it. And many of his comments at the State of the Union highlight the real danger of his administration's attempts to arbitrarily control the markets rather than support them. Such a strategy has historically only taken power away from the average worker and destroyed nations. Under Biden, the U.S. economy looks likely to continue to suffer.
0: And where there's a Republican, there's a Democratic narrative from The New York Times. Americans' economic woes aren't unfounded, but it's Biden's agenda that's keeping hope alive. In a U-turn from years past, the president is calling out corporate corruption and tax evasion while highlighting the importance of a strong working class. Even Republicans, albeit grudgingly, applauded some of the president's speech, which, along with the polls' optimism surrounding the economy's future, shows the American people are willing to latch on the hopeful message Biden has for the country.
1: The nerds from Metaculus are chiming in as well for this story, saying that there's a 30% chance that the U.S. will enter a recession before the end of 2023.
0: I'm thinking about where I fit in this.
1: Are you <laughs> um, still in that van down by the river?
0: No, I, I know that's but that's the name of my investment company, though. Vans <laughs> down by the river.
1: In our next story, Mickey Mouse has a handful of pink slips as Disney is planning to lay off 7,000 employees. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Associated Press, Independent, BBC News and Business Insider. On Wednesday, Walt Disney Company announced plans for 7,000 layoffs, representing a 3.6% reduction in its global workforce and a broad restructuring of the company in the aftermath of the release of its first quarterly results since the reinstatement of CEO Bob Iger. According to the company, It earned a better-than-expected $1.28 billion, or 70 cents per share, in the last three months of 2022, compared to $1.1 billion, or 60 cents per share, a year earlier. The company is looking to save $5.5 billion by undergoing what Iger, who returned as CEO in November after two years away, called a, quote, significant transformation. One of Disney's main focus areas will be making its streaming business profitable. The Disney Plus streaming service, which started in 2019, lost over 2 million subscribers for the first time last quarter. It also recorded a $1.5 billion loss. Disney will now be organized into three company units. Disney Entertainment, encompassing its streaming platforms and film studios, ESPN for sports coverage, and Parks, Experiences, and Products. Iger also announced that executives in the entertainment unit will be responsible for picking which movie and TV projects to produce, as well as marketing and distribution.
0: All right. Thank you for the facts on that story, Eric. We'll start the round of spins with a Republican narrative from Red State. It shouldn't be surprising that Disney is suffering, considering all the bad press it earned last year. Iger took over a company that fought and lost a culture war against Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and has made its name synonymous with woke content. Disney used to be old-fashioned fun for the whole family, but now most average Americans are steering clear of the brand and its sinister agenda.
1: Politico giving us a democratic narrative for this story. Disney was predicated on being a morally instructive company and has long been esteemed as a model for a healthy civic society. Its recent so-called shift in content is merely a reflection of the nation's progressing culture. And GOP's accusation of woke nonsense attests to its inability to keep up with the mainstream.
0: And we have a narrative C from Forbes. Although Disney Plus Star took a hit in Southeast Asia because of the loss of Indian Premier League streaming rights, subscriber growth has been promising in the U.S. and Canada. Streaming services are all facing stiff competition and are trying to find ways to stop finicky users from canceling and returning month to month. Disney Plus's new, cheaper ad-based tier, in addition to its wide-ranging content, could help it grow toward the desired profits. And we'll end today's program with a little bit of love, as India urges citizens to hug a cow on Valentine's Day. Here are the facts as agreed upon by ABC News, The Guardian, The Times of India, The Indian Express, and BBC News. The government-run Animal Welfare Board of India is encouraging citizens to mark Valentine's Day as Cow Hug Day, to promote Hindu values, saying on Wednesday that it will bring emotional richness and increase individual and collective happiness. As India's economy has liberalized over the past decade, young people have increasingly celebrated Valentine's Day, February 14th, through romantic gestures like giving flowers, teddy bears, and heart-shaped gifts. Due to the progress of West culture over time, the board says Hindu traditions are almost on the verge of extinction. However, the board added that it's just an appeal to cow lovers and that it hasn't planned any special event around it. The board also emphasized that the policy has been approved by India's multiple animal welfare departments. It also follows the state of Haryana's chief minister's directive last year to have at least one hospital in each district of the state for timely treatment and care of stray cows injured in road accidents. The cow is a highly polarizing and political animal in India. Considered a sacred animal in Hinduism, cow slaughter is banned in most Indian states, leading to frequent clashes erupting between Muslims and Hindus.
1: Melissa, thank you for the interesting facts of that story. Narrative A is coming from New York Times. India's democratic boom over the last decade is rapidly distancing from the multicultural and multi-ethnic foundation it was built upon. The beauty of India since its independence from the UK was that it allowed Hindu, Muslim, and secular beliefs to flourish side by side. The nation's constitution was written with those values in mind. But the current regime has sadly used its popularity to go directly against The founders' wishes.
0: The Indian Express brings us narrative B. Cows are the backbone of India's majority Hindu tradition, which is under attack as Western influence grows. This innocent initiative is a lighthearted way of reminding the population of the fact that honoring Vedic traditions, all while bringing emotional and mental health benefits to those who partake. I'm for it. I think hugging animals is great, especially docile ones like cows. I would just hope that they wash it beforehand.
1: Every time I've tried to approach a cow, it just runs from me.
0: Well, that's because you're like salivating and you have a knife in your uh, hand.
1: I've got the A1 <laughs> sauce bottle in one hand and a steak knife in the other. And there's yeah.
0: like a cartoon bubble over your head with a <laughs> <the> cow. <laughs>
1: Thanks for listening to the Improve the News podcast for Friday, February 10th, 2023.
0: Each day, we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ.
1: For more information on Improve the News, please visit our website, improvethenews.org. You can also download the Improve the News app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Melissa I'm Eric Steiner inviting you to join us next time on Improve the News.